Wisconsin, the sidekick on the Buccaneers Sports Network. Do you know what I like more than a Tuesday coaches show? Well, no, not even coach show. Podcast. Well, coach show, Jay. I don't know. I'm eating free pizza, by Gallagher. I, I'm, I'm stuffing my face. I'm a slobbingly fat man. And somebody said it has been. And somebody said free pizza right as we hit the opening bumper. And I said, you know what? I'm gonna get free pizza. Where is the Thanksgiving dinner? And then so I'm like, get out, Calvin, out. Calvin, out, we're out we're on the air. We're on air, Back in the SoCon, he's gonna storm into the studio. No one cares, Calvin. Get out. Him and his little blue pullover. Yeah, oh yeah. Cute, cute, very cute. All right, fun start, fun start, hot start. It is, it is. Well, I'm still eating. So, all right. uh, Besides the fact that I'm eating uh, during the podcast, which shouldn't shock anybody, if you hear our bold predictions coming up a little bit later on, but Thanksgiving dinner tastes by supper with honey mustard. It does. So good. All right, uh, we're gonna talk men's basketball. We're gonna talk women's basketball. We're gonna talk soccer report. And we're going to go over bold predictions, which are usually generally uh, terrible. Boy, and combo uh, stock report and bold predictions. I mean, this is uh, this is it for stock report. It's over, at least for basketball. I was going to say, yeah, yeah we transitioned it. Foosball. We can do football, too. And that's what Thursday's show is going to be a lot of, is football, because men's basketball, women's basketball is done for the 2020-21 season. And football in full effect. I looked it up, Jay Sandoz, and yep. this is just a teaser for Thursday's show. Can you name the last year? I think you're going to love this because you're a big history guy. That ETSU football went 20 days between games in season. Mm. I can't tell if that's a mm about the question or the pizza. The pizza was good. Yeah, I'm it's sorry. not bad. It's probably um, good stuff. I do not know off the top of my head, but give me a minute. You want to? I'm not going to look. Okay, you're not going to look. I'm not going to look. I'm clicking on men's basketball here. Okay. My computer was restarting as we were coming on there. Sure. So, okay, basketball. Let's talk about that. Let's stick to ETSU, and then we can talk in soccer report about the league and UNCG winning the title and Mercer. By the way, I feel very vindicated, as should you. The, you picked Mercer to win the league at the beginning of the year. I picked UNCG, and what do we have? We had a meeting of the minds Smart. in the kind championship game. So we'll talk about that a little bit later, too. But ETSU men's basketball, I guess I just want to turn it over to you since you – that was impressive how you plowed that. I mean, we're about two minutes into the show, and you just put down an entire slice. That was rushed. I'm sure that your body will hate mm-hmm. you, but uh, very impressive how the rapidity or the – Velocito, or whatever it would be, the fastness that you did that, um, very impressive. I don't, I don't know if you knew this, but I was in the military for a while, and the speed eating is a must. Oh, is that a thing? Okay. Oh, you only get like two minutes to eat your whole Oh, really? Oh, yeah, no, it's a big thing. Big uh, all military guys that you need to have, I suppose. My other theory is, of course, I talked through it, but normally my theory is uh, eat it all and then talk later. Well, most people, like, take a bite, they chew it, and then they'll talk, they'll do whatever. I just eat, maybe swallow, keep going. I just... Taste it later deal. Um, the men's basketball was interesting, the tournament, because, first of all, you get ready to play Chattanooga, right? And all of a sudden, they're out two guys. And I'd heard rumblings the day before, but you didn't know if it's gamesmanship. They didn't really tell you who it was. And you were hearing it from players because, you know, just the way the world is, some guys have been teammates or AU teammates or know each other from circuit playing the summer, whatever it is. But they were saying, hey, they're going to be without a couple guys. So then everybody's asking me, and I didn't know. And then, sure enough, an hour before the game, the press release comes out. You know, no Malachi Smith. Certainly we've talked enough about how much we think he's not just valuable to Chattanooga but to the league. And then uh, no Darius Banks, right? And so you're missing those two guys. ETSU got off to a sluggish start. They end the first half with a good run, and I felt like played a good second half. I felt like that second half carried over into a good first half against UNCG, and then it just kind of tapered off. And some of the good start in the first half against UNCG, I felt like, came down to a lot of non-usual suspects hitting threes, right? you got Bonnie Patterson looking like a three-point all-star. You've got Charlie Weber hitting some threes. I mean, there were some shots and things going down. And in the same token, there were guys from UNCG, if you just check the stat sheet, that hasn't particularly shot the ball well all year or have a lot of threes, that they're knocking down threes. McGinnis hits three for them. Hensley has five in a row, and then he shoots one six feet short. And I don't know if I've seen a guy catch an alley-oop lob, knock down a three dead center, and the very next trip down the court, they get him a look, and he is he was so short he didn't even hit the net. Like, it was impressively short. And so, but the bank shots that went in for UNCG against the Citadel, against ETSU, Last night against Mercer, all impressive. They, they bank in threes like nobody's business. It's the most incredible. The the corner or elbow three 
that gets banked in four occasions in the tournament. And it's, but I'm a firm believer you make your own breaks. You have to have things like that to happen to win a championship. And UNCG did that. They had the most uh, prolific three-point uh, day against ETSU. Backtracking to Chattanooga, I thought after Monsanto's down with the ankle, hearing Coach Shea talk about it, and that uh, after they massaged, what, what did he say, um, his hurt feelings, not the ankle, and got him back on the floor. Then he was able to get the double-double. Apparently, he said he couldn't recover uh, from tripping over the H of the Harris-Cherokee Center. And then he said, I quote, I, after watching it, I felt like he took three steps and then felt like I just need to go down. And then he went down. And, uh, Everyone to miss words was Coach Shea. No, no, he was not. <laughs> so um, it, it was interesting to hear that. But if you go back and look at it, from that point, DeMar had zero points and I think one rebound. And then he goes off for eight, 18 points and nine extra rebounds to get a double-double. Certainly there was no ill effects uh, of, of that ankle. And he played the very next day with no issues. So um, he, he was impressive. I thought David Sloan had an impressive game against Chattanooga. It was a game where really they struggled to score around the rim again. I mean, Salas Sadeke just could not get a ball to go down. Then he turned around UNCG, and I think he missed the first one in his next three. And so he started to get things going. But Ty Brewer was – I don't think he'd have an MVP of a team losing the semifinal game, but if he had to pick an MVP for two games, I thought Ty Brewer was phenomenal and set the tone with his effort on the glass early when nobody else was really doing anything. And then I felt like offensively and on the glass – in uh, the game against UNCG was great for him. When it comes to Chattanooga for me, I think it's unfortunate that you didn't have Banks and Smith. And obviously, worked very well for ETSU, worked in favor of the Buccaneers. But I really was excited to see that third matchup with both teams at full strength. You can say, okay, Monsanto you know, missed a little bit of time right, with the ankle, but it still ended up playing you know, 31 minutes. I'm not sure that even you know, if you're healthy the entire time, you're going to play much more than that. But he always gets the double-double. You know, Darius Banks, I know, isn't someone that is going to get a lot of acclaim for what he contributed to Chattanooga this year, but I mean, the ability is there. He's a 1,000-point scorer champion. He's a single-season record holder in three-point percentage after going like something like 38 of 75 in a season or something like that. Like Just a dead-eye shooter. So you take those two away, and then David G. Baptiste and Stefan Kenich go 5 of 23 combined, and you know, writing's on the wall, right? It's really unfortunate, though, in my opinion, and again, it worked out well for ETSU, but that we didn't get that third matchup simply because of how the two games in the regular season went, how specifically they finished. I wanted to see if ETSU, hopefully without a absurd finish, right, in the tournament, biggest stage, season down the line, if they could step up in that moment against a hated rival, at least in history, and you and me have talked about this, and we've talked about it with many other people, like the, the rival right now is probably UNCG, right? It's UNCG, or you can say Wofford or Furman, but for me, I, I think it's UNCG because the teams have been the two best in the Southern Conference throughout recent history. I know it really doesn't resonate a lot with many of the current players that Chattanooga has been the rival over such a long period of time because, quite frankly, Chattanooga has not been good recently. ETSU has dominated, and so that doesn't really hit the radar for a lot of the young guys, specifically with this team where it's so many new bodies, new players, new faces, new contributors. Um, really unfortunate, in my opinion. Now, you get the win, you go on to UNCG, and I think you nailed it after you kind of hemmed and hawed about the bank and threes and the three-point shooting, I think it just comes down to there is a team in this league this year that was better consistently than everyone else. And when it comes down to a big spot, you find ways as a championship team to get it done. And UNCG is a championship team, as they showed last night. We'll talk more about it in the stock report and bold predictions, but while they're not a good three-point shooting team, while Isaiah Miller is not a good three-point shooter, not a good jump shooter in general, when you need shots to go down, regardless of how they go down, they go down. And so tough, I think, as an ETSU fan, because you look at that and say, yes, there were some shots that the entire season have not gone in for UNCG, but when they needed them, they did go down, and the best player in the league got his chance for 
Isaiah Miller was uh, eight for forty-eight for the season. Yep. Going into the game against CTSU, but he was three of five against CTSU, and then he puts another two for three effort on the board. I don't know what it was because he had high de- degree of difficulty threes too. The one at the end of the half, Ty Brewer was all of them. There's a pump fake. I don't know what else Step Ty could do. Rivers. I mean, everything. <laughs> Brewer was there. Hand was in his face. I mean, he did Isaac, gives him a point. I mean, it was really sort of a refuse to lose. But the game played out, I thought, well for ETSU in two regards. I thought they had to make Isaiah Miller non-efficient like he was last game where he scored 30-some points on like 14 shots. He gets 21 points on 21 shots. That's not efficient, right? I mean, if you just look at it, if you have to get a point – Per shot, that's not good. Now, his all-around numbers are great. Seven rebounds, five assists, four steals. It was typical best player in the league doing best player in the league type things. But it was all the other guys that stepped up at the right time to hit shots that I thought was, you know, again, Hensley had five, but it was big when he had those five. McGinnis got caught fire in the first half when nobody else was scoring. Those nine points were huge. It was a situation where Abdul Salam didn't do anything, but late in the game he hit a couple weird Shots off the glass, which he did against Mercer in impossible angles, and you're going, I don't even know how that's a, that's even a shot that's considered. And then, honestly, ETSU, the turnovers. 11 turnovers, you know, just by Ladarius Brewer alone, and 10 were unforced. I mean, 10 were passes or dribbles or things that you just, nobody's forcing him to do it. There was one time the ball was taken from him that was, you're like, okay, somebody, somebody just stole the ball from him. The other ten were brutal. What was it, 68-63 in the UNCG game? Chance to cut it to three, and he had the right. ball. Not necessarily the open floor, but he was Right after a decade, stole it, made the play, got out in front. A, a play earlier in the year, I think, I hadn't – I wouldn't even think twice about him struggling to score, get fouled, something positive. And then he just struggled. I mean, he just, he just turned it right over. And so then the body language on that turnover – Pretty much, if you go back and watch the game at about the 2.30 mark, there's the steal, I think it's 2.26. The body language from that point forward you could see, you know, was kind of the nail in the coffin, I think, for ETSU. But at that point, I mean, four turnovers. UNCG had four turnovers for the game. Just no ball pressure, just struggling defensively, not on the same page in certain instances. They were great on the glass, except for late. There was a couple, you know, there were three or four times – Late, where UNCG was able to gobble up some offensive rebounds, get an extra opportunity. Same thing, Mercer was pretty good against the glass against UNCG until the last two or three minutes. UNCG was able to get some offensive rebounds that were timely. They were able to capitalize and uh, advance as the uh, representative for the Southern Conference. UNCG turns it over 22 times combined in three matchups against ETSU. Five times ETSU had a team turn it over single digits against them, and three of those were UNCG, and like you said, just four times on Sunday, and Jason Shea mentioned this, I think it was after the regular season finale against UNCG, where the Spartans won in overtime, but yes, maybe ETSU didn't turn it over you know, that many times against UNCG, but when the other team isn't turning it over as much, and when UNCG is doing what they do like they did in the championship, or I should say the semifinal against ETSU, what, 18 points out of 12 buck turnovers? So those 12 feel like 17 or 18 because always the goal is a point per turnover in the points out turnover category. So if you get one and a half, then the Bucks might as well have turned it over you know, 17 or 18, right, if that's how quickly you're converting and that's what you're doing with the ball when you do have it from the opponent. 12 threes was 50% from the three-point arc, 20 points above their average, and their most, the season's second most, uh, I should say, against ETSU this year. Uh, because they also, uh, you know, I think it was, what, 11 they hit in the regular season against the Bucs. Uh, I mean, so two of their top three over the course of the season in terms of made threes were against ETSU, and they finished the regular season and the Southern Conference Tournament undefeated when shooting at above 45%. I think they were like 45.7. So they did enough offensively. And obviously, I think, you know, you had a Mercer team, and again, we'll talk about it a little bit more in bold and stock report, but team that kind of came on and started to show their potential, much like Western Carolina right before the Southern Conference Tournament, and then they obviously ended up being who we thought they were. Um, but 
UNCG just the class of the league. And, and I think this is a team with Isaiah Miller that going to the NCAA tournament, you're, you're never going to be able to write off, especially if they do what they did against ETSU with Langley and you know Koval to an extent didn't have a great day, but Allegri and Hensley, like you said. I mean, it's so interesting to bring up Hensley and what he was able to do. You know, the three, the alley of dunk, Rivals top 50 guy, or top 150 guy, first one in UNCG history that they get, and then you see the three fall so far short, the consistency just isn't there yet. He's got a possibility of being a good player at some point. I think you just look at the best player in the league willed his team to victory so many times this year. I'll be curious to see, A, if he comes back because he can, B, does he go make money, or C, is he going to do what Storm Murphy and some others have already done in the league? We'll talk about that, too. We will talk about that, too, because the portal is full of Buccaneers, that, or not Buccaneers, I should say. There's no full Buccaneers in the portal, but full of Southern Conference talent, full of individuals that have made a huge impact in this league. Just in terms of ETSU, I'd love just to get your impression of the season now as we sit with it over with a record that ended up being, what was it, 13-11? and 11, Is that right? 13-12, maybe. 8-7 yeah. in the league. So we're sitting here now, season over, Jason Chase, first year done. If we go back and look at the board, we're about where we thought they were. I, th- I think it was the hot start got everybody fired up. We talked about that last show, but I still think if you go back and you just logically think about things, I had them at 9-9, nine nine, which was the worst, I think, of the, the three that, that we had. I think Kevin uh, may had them 10-8. and eight, I had you 11 had 11-7, which is still right there. And in fairness to your prediction, they missed two Sanford games. Does anybody have any doubt they would have picked up those wins? You might have the road tough be, to beat there, but even better that, than we thought they'd That be. still would put them, you know, at a, a 10 and 8. You know, and if they beat BMI, then they were 11 and 7. It still would have been better than what I did. But so they overachieved in my eyes. The problem is because I think they got off to a hot start. And to be honest, fan base is used to winning, right? It's not, a, it's not a bad thing, but you expect to win and you go, and they just couldn't come up with late, tight ball games. Will that change next year with the guys around? Who knows? Um, we just have to wait and see about that. I think right. down the stretch, I mean, five-point loss to Wofford, two-point loss to Chattanooga, eight to Citadel, two to Chattanooga, seven to Mercer, overtime against UNCG, and then, of course, in the semifinal, got away from them a bit. But in so many games, the season very easily could have been 10-5, and 11-4. and four. Uh, The people that are saying, ETSU men's basketball disappointed. What was your expectation coming into this year? I mean, you can say that it was a bad finish. Sure. I mean, again, in a lot of games, you lost a lot of them. I get that. It's a young team, new experiences, trying to figure out roles, and they did the whole year. And so you lose those games. Close games are often the difference in a really good season and a really bad season, as we discussed at nauseum on this show, and is very evident around collegiate athletics. But if you had a 30-4, and 16-2 season in mind, or even something that approached that, you didn't know anything about this team. So the people that are in the media right about how it's a failure of a year and ETSU is over now that Steve Ford is gone and all this, like, you're exposing yourself as a total fraud that knows nothing about the Southern Conference, nothing about the program and what it was last year versus what was back this year. Over 90% of its scoring gone top eight scores and come back, new coaching staff, like, exposing themselves, uh, showing that they have no clue and are completely uneducated on the top of couldn't agree more. Let's step aside. Uh, we'll talk women's basketball at this time out. Sandra Sidekick, Buccaneers Sports Network. Over the last 70 years, Johnson City Power Board has had a few different looks. But we've remained the same trusted partner you rely on. Now, we've changed our name to Bright Ridge to match our vision. To deliver on our promise of great service you can count on. Embracing common sense technology. To strengthen the communities we serve. We're glad to be your public power provider. Bright Ridge. New name, renewed promise. Learn more at brightridge.com. Sanders and the sidekick back with you, and not to toot our own horn because we will on bold predictions, but we did call the eight seed knocking off the one seed. I don't want to bring that up. I can bring it up. I will. I did. I'm going to bring it up again. It's what they do. ETSU, I believe now, four and five is the eight seed versus the one. Yeah, that's right. 
That's unbelievable. Well, four and five, so now they're four and six as the eight seed, but they have three wins over the one seed. And you foreshadowed it just unbelievably. The whole tournament almost played out that I way. I mean, it was pretty incredible. You, you said it on the show. The last time ETSU was an eight seed in the SoCon, they knocked off the one. What they and do. they went to the semifinal. What they do. And it's exactly what they did this time around. Now, you've been around this program longer than I have. Would you agree with my assessment that this was the most surprising win outside of our brilliance, obviously, because we know it, in ETSU women's basketball history? Now, you haven't been around since the beginning, back in 1968, but you were 3-15 in the regular season. You were 1-10 in the conference. You were blown out by Sanford really every single time you played them over the last couple of years. It was in the postseason. You were the last seed, number 8. They averaged like 57 points per game. I, I mean – just looking over the circumstances, looking at how few times the Bucks have finished where they did during the regular season, and looking at the opponent across from them and the situation, I found no other way to frame it that would be as impactful and, in my eyes, as true as that. Most surprising win in ETSU women's basketball history. And let's be honest. You said it. I said it. This was a, I don't want to call it a domination, but the Bucks were definitely the better team that day over Sanford. Yeah, the, yes. Uh, the score was actually closer than what it was. Um, I don't think each issue won by eight right, or seven, 68-61, but I, I thought it was a 12-15 point game. You know, easily I think Sanford made it a little tighter at the end, but, I mean, it was a performance that you could tell Sanford wasn't ready for. Um Going back and listening to Carly Coombs' post game, she was baffled and stymied and just loss of words for what had happened. And it just it kind of goes to show you, even if you play bad teams, and ETSU was coming off one of its better performances against Mercer, but all accounts for what you consider a good or bad team, right? And it's a it's a bad year, it's a bad team, wins and losses. So, it shows you get in a conference tournament, you get in a neutral site, you get in a situation and give a team a chance. And ETSU took the fight early, and I thought Sanford didn't do a good job of matching the energy. I felt like they just kind of were going with, well, at some point, we'll just get it going. They won't. And it just didn't go well for them in that regard, and I felt like the energy and effort and everything that we saw at Mercer was carried over, which I love to see, because, you know, after the tough loss to Chattanooga, kind of felt like, let's see how they react last game of the year, not really playing for anything, seeds are done, right, what's going to happen? Boom, best performance of the year. I mean, everyone's engaged, everyone's um, contributing. I thought in that game against Sanford, everyone came in, and did something to contribute, if you look at it, all played a role of some kind, of some way, and felt like that was going to go into the next game against Wofford. The only problem is Wofford twice this year has figured out how to shoot the daggone basketball, and it just happened to be against the Bucks twice. Because I don't know if you watched any of the championship game against Mercer and Wofford. Um, I clicked on the game in the third quarter thinking I'll just watch the second half and – I clicked on, and it, it, it is the fastest I think I've clicked off a championship game in a long time because it was already like 28-point difference. It was disgusting. So, But it was fun to watch ETSU kind of get going. I'm a huge Ja'Kai Davis fan. I thought she was incredible matching up against two of the better post players in the league, not just holding her own both. And the only reason Hatton might have a slight advantage second game is because she stepped out and hit three threes. Right. And I don't know that Ja'Kai Davis – uh, I think I said this when I was wrapping up the broadcast in the studio. I just don't think she, as a freshman, is set up to defend inside to go all the way outside yet. I think she can get there, but I think that's something that was tough for her, particularly this year and in this game. That's the only reason Hatton might have a slight edge, but inside, inside play, I thought Ja'Kia Davis dominated Armstrong and Hatton in the two games. You make a great point because Armstrong at any point in her especially the last couple of years, could have been a Southern Conference Player of the Year awardee. She was the all-tournament MVP last year when Sanford won the championship. I was obviously convinced that ETSU would win, as we talked about on Friday's show, or Thursday's show, maybe it was Wednesday's show, whenever it was. 
But the one thing that I had reservations about was, boy, I don't know if Natalie Armstrong's going to let that happen. Like, Andrew Cornoyer, yes, player of the year. And you come in and replace Sarah Myers, who was another player of the year candidate. The transfers have really worked for Carly Coons. But it didn't feel like Cornoyer being the newcomer was really like the heart and soul of that team, right? It was Armstrong. And she is as good as it gets down low. And Ja'Kai Davis outplayed her. And that is an incredibly encouraging thing going forward for ETSU because when you have, as you said, Armstrong, who is a lot like Hatton, can step out, hit the three, and Davis is better than her that day. Hatton also offensively, you know, step out, hit that three. Davis is the same way. She didn't maybe do it as much in the latter half of the season. She, I think she missed a few, you know, as the middle part of the year came through, and she maybe lost a little bit of the confidence from beyond the arc. I think that there's not a lot of holes in her game, but if there is one, perhaps it is that, okay, i got to go out of the perimeter and not let this big get an open look. Um, it's so interesting because on the men's side, I lobbied for Mercer all year and thought that they were better than what they had showed, and they ended up finally proving me right. ETSU, I voted third in the preseason poll, and goodness, all year I sat there and scratched my head. What was I thinking? What was I looking at? And finally you see it, right? And it's a shame because you wish with that Wofford game, obviously a loss to end the season, but they still put up 64 points. They put up 68 against Sanford. They put up 73 against Mercer, their three best offensive days of the Southern Conference season. You wish that you could see what would have happened if the Buccaneers would have gone to those five-in, five-out substitutions, the kind of line changes we talked about, much like you see in hockey, groups staying together, developing the camaraderie, knowing what the other is going to do on the court, not having to, I think, guess so much, you know, but if you have a whole year of five-in, five-out, everybody playing and being on the same page and using your depth, as Coach Sell said, weaponizing your depth and putting the press on board, forcing turnovers. Sanford didn't deal with it well. I mean, ETSU, I thought it was a really incredible clinic on how to keep your hands active, get in the passing lanes, take the ball away. 15 steals was a team high throughout the entire season against Sanford. Just five, though, against Wofford. And you're absolutely right about that game. I mean, hot shooting back on January 14th. They made 12 and 19 threes, most makes in their best percentage from outside the arc this year. Then they make 7 of 14 in the semi, their third best percentage of the season, kind of like what UNCG did to ETSU. Um, and then a big free throw disparity as well. 13 of 17 was Wofford in that first half, 0 of 0 in the box. Uh, and ETSU also tied a team low in assists, so they maybe didn't play quite as together. But again, 64 points. So it's just frustrating knowing that they were peaking at the right time. And how good could that peak, how high could that peak have been had they use the same system that they were over the last week plus of the regular season postseason. It, it, you know, it's almost, and I know it, you can't do it, but almost wonder if whatever the change that led to all the energy and all the other things, if you had a couple more weeks in the season, maybe what could have been. And that's maybe the, the downside. Of course, the upside is you go, okay, now maybe they know what they can be, and they got an opportunity to have a little bit of energy and momentum going in the off season. Now this is going to be obviously a very different looking off season because we're not trying to bury the lead here, but certainly news came out yesterday um, that there's going to be a new head women's basketball coach, right? And so um, it's part of the business. It's uh, something I'll never forget. My wife asked. When Coach Ezell, two weeks on the job, came over and had dinner, and she said, why, why, why in the world do you choose a profession that the second you're hired, the countdown clock to fire you begins? <laughs> and Coach Ezell kind of laughed and, and did whatever, and I think she used that two or three different times on the coaches' shows throughout the year. She had brought that up, that that had kind of stuck with her, that my wife, sort of level-headed lawyer person, would do that. It's like it's just sort of in our DNA. It's what we do. And unfortunately, I've been here long enough to see – good people no longer on staff you know and I can name them all but there, there's a lot we've had a lot of soccer we've had baseball track basketball all these things that that, that have happened and gone and I've been lucky because in a lot of sports there has been not a lot of turnover I mean uh, it's going on my 20th year this will be my third 
women's coach because Coach Kemp was here even when I was in school. Then he go to Coach Ezell. I mean, I had one year with Ed Cellis, the rest with Bartow. Then you look at, obviously, the, the run. Now, that's different because those guys all elevated up. Not Coach Bartow, but Ed Chellis went to Penn State. Obviously, Ford went to Wake Forest. Even though I've had two baseball coaches since I've been here. We've had two track coaches in 20 years since I've been here. Uh, two tennis coaches since I've been here. <laughs> I mean, I just, really, it, yeah. it's not a lot um, that has happened. One women's golf coach. I mean, Fred Warren finally retired. So there's not, I mean, so I mean, it's just it, it's one of those situations, and it's there now. On on a personal level, certainly, uh, just dealing with coaches and stuff that people would never know. You know, had a great relationship. Talk. You know, when Coach Zell first moved here, she lived around the corner. A couple times, come over, have some adult beverages. You know, um, try to make her feel uh, welcome homeless as we can. We had a mutual tie of some friends in Belmont that kind of got us connected when she got here. Certainly, smart lady. She figured out. She's a doctor. You know, whether she coaches, administration, you know, she'll be able to, to, to do some things. And then obviously the last several years, you've been tight with the program, not just being the play-by-play guy, but doing SID work and all that. And so um, situation we'll see. What does that do with the roster? Do people stay? Do they go? We'll just have to wait and see how, how that always changes um, in a situation where um, you have turnover. You know, will some of the youngsters stay? Will some of the elder statesmen go? ETSU is already doing the search. Will it be a week? Will it be two weeks? Will it be a month? Who knows how quick this will go. But certainly uh, new times for women's basketball going into next year. Yeah, no doubt. And, you know, Ja'Kai Davis and Hurley Hooks kind of emerged, I think, in the second half of the conference here and then definitely in the tournament as two building blocks for this program. And you do hope that they stick around. And um, not sure how the change may affect that. I, I do know right now that it appears that all the recruits are still on board. So that's a good thing when it comes to going into next year. Um, on the roster, you don't have anybody that needs to go anywhere, right? Kelly Post could even come back as a graduate transfer if she prefers to do that. Uh, she was the one player that we celebrated on senior day. This is a free year for everybody, so she could play another year of college basketball. And heck, I mean, in the starting lineup, she showed some really good things late on in the year, so she just might. Um, there's always turnover, I think, on a roster, depending on what year it is. It could be more than the other, but coaching change or not, you're always going to see that. Not sure how it may be affected by this move. Um, you don't root for anybody to done this long enough and known many people with uh, and, and coach Zell was 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 not married but I've known plenty of people married small children stuff it, it's definitely it's definitely tough and there's a human element side as a fan side I don't mean to cut you off but on the fan side certainly there's a little bit of bloodthirst right you know just it's always easy I right, just fire move on we just fire move on yeah. on our side you know we deal with these people on a much more personal level and we get it don't don't get me wrong but eventually you have to wins and losses will dictate. I know co- right. Coach says it's not going to be on a tombstone, and I don't think it will be. But in the same token, at some point in time, it does come down to that sim- uh, sort of a simplistic outlook on it, and especially when you're in certain sports. And for ETSU, football, basketballs, win-loss is going to be a huge, important part, piece of the puzzle. Um, but it is interesting to, to see how it, it all played out. And the Reading a lot of people's stuff, it seemed like sad to see Coach Ezell go. Really enjoyed Coach Ezell. And a lot of people said, you know, but we, we understand. Right. You know, we not, there wasn't a lot of blame. It wasn't a lot of mud. It wasn't a lot of throwing. It wasn't a lot of – I wasn't sure because she is well-liked in the community. She has a relationship and has entrenched herself in the Tri-Cities um, – well, honest, I think the, the campus, like that, yeah. yes, absolutely. The campus, the student body, all this. So I was kind of interested to see, and I think it, it's it been as graceful as it can be for somebody that's not going to be coaching our team anymore. No doubt. And, yes, wins loss is not going to be on the tombstone. Three years in a row of ten wins or less, you know, it's hard to ignore. And – young, dealt with injuries. This was not an easy job for Coach Zell over the last couple of years. Um, injured often over the last two, and then, or I should say, really the third to last and second to last. This year, just a very strange
general, you had the two COVID shutdowns. You started to see what the depth could do at the end. Um, and I think that if this was the first year that things had been rough, you could point to it and say, well, I mean, look at the circumstances. But you then did have the other two years, and it's difficult, I think, as an administration in a basketball-loving city and area, right? Like, you see the support that teams, I don't care if it's men's or women's, I don't care if it's collegiate high school, you're going to have a big backing for a win. And Coach Zell knows that. This program knows that because they've been there. There was a lot of success, especially with Tiana Tarter. The record with Tiana Tarter is 73 and 53. Unfortunately, the record without her, 32 and 79 under Coach Zell. And, again, I'm not the only one that knows these stats, right? Yes, someone that puts them together, sports information, broadcast, all that. But you start to look for trends, and when you uncover that one, you say, wow, how often are you going to get a Tiana Tarter in your program? I mean, it's a once in a very long while occasion. And so when the stats do add up the way they did, um, I, I think that for the administration, the, the writing was on the wall, and I tend to agree with the sentiments of, those that you've seen. You know, I I hated for Coach because she was so good to me and always was an advocate, always looked out for me, and I would never wish this upon anyone, but especially her. Um, that being said, you look at the record, and uh, I try to be fair, put myself in other people's shoes, and uh, yeah, difficult to get by, for sure. Yeah, I'm sure we'll talk Maybe more about it later. We'll, we'll see. Again, it's fresh news for us, too. It came down yesterday. and We're certainly not privy to a lot of conversations or, or knew a lot of people uh, that asked, well, you know what's coming. You know, whatever. I, I, never, I hardly ever know. It doesn't know. matter. Anyway. I, I, hardly, I, I hardly ever know. I remember when, you know, um, I think the last coach let go after that was Adam Sayers or before that was Adam Sayers. And I, I, I didn't have a clue. Adam Sayers. I'm like, Adam Sayers. Coach is great, still on campus, teaches classes, also got his doctorate, all this other good stuff. But, you know, it, it's got wins and losses matter, and it's, it's just one of those things. It's right. not the only thing that matters, but um, at a Division One level, it's certainly something uh, that people do keep a record for a reason for. And go. So, all right, we'll step aside. Timeout. The search has started. We'll certainly talk about that when we have more information on uh, the search. Obviously, we aren't on the search committee, so – when there's a head coach. No, I tried to volunteer, yeah, okay. uh, but they didn't. Uh, yeah. out the ring, you, you, you probably have to know something about basketball, and I, I believe they think we don't. So, <laughs> all right, we'll step aside for a timeout. Soccer board coming up after this timeout. Santa Sidekick, Buccaneers Sports Network. This responsible gaming message is brought to you by the Tennessee Lottery. When you play the lottery, it's important to play responsibly. Know your limit and spend only what you can afford. Set a budget and stick to it. And remember. As long as you're having fun, you're always a winner in our book. The Tennessee Lottery is a proud supporter of National Problem Gambling Awareness Month. To learn more about problem gambling resources, visit tnlottery.com. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers have reportedly agreed to terms with free agent wide receiver Antonio Brown. The Warriors' Clay Thompson is out for the season again. This time it's a torn Achilles. Loses 
a piece of pizza. I don't, again, I still don't sure I'm going for a six-pack. But I'm, well, uh, how about, uh, I'm trying to get away from the keg. Does that count? Can I just get rid of the keg? Oh, that doesn't sound like any fun. Oh, you mean the keg on your belly. Yes, yeah, there you yeah, go. I thought you were talking about getting away. Okay. Uh, so why don't you just give me your impressions of uh, the Southern Conference Tournament as I add everything up here? Because what we did, this is a kind of combo bowl. That oh, back report. Back report. Well, and, and unfortunately, right, I had ETSU losing the championship game to Mercer on the women's side. Don't give me the impression of the bowl prediction. Just give me the impression of the tournament. Well, impression of the tournament. Um, I thought it was as unpredictable as the season had been for both. I didn't think the men's and women, and yes, UNCG was the one seed that ended up winning it all. And yes, Mercer was a two seed that ended up winning it all, and you could argue that both of them were, were up there. I just felt like it was so I didn't know where it was going to happen, but I did not feel like chalk was going to be across the board. And the Citadel missed a few shots later. They could have been the – we could have had the eight, seven, six, and five win on the men's. All the even seeds, if I'm not mistaken, one on the um, women's side, two, four, six, eight, on the quarterfinal. Almost positive. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, two, four, six, eight. We almost had the, the, the odd. VMI went to come back against Furman. It would have been one, three, five, seven. On uh, the men's side of things, which would have yes, yes, and then we still would have had one through eight still available in both. Anyways, that that being said, um, it was unpredictable. It came down to that, and because there was not, and yes, UNCG was the one seeding went, but it wasn't like years past where there was a dominant one who ran through the league, who ran to the title, and you were there. It doesn't shock anybody that won. I don't think it should shock you that Mercer won on the women's side. If you would have said either one of those win, not shocking. I think the fun part was everything else that happened in the middle. Most talented team in the league on the women's side certainly was Mercer. So here's what we did in bold predictions last week, and we kind of combined it again with the stock report. We filled out the brackets on either side, and uh, I didn't have a chance to add them all up completely. I'm going to go ahead and give you your men's bracket. I had to get that done. Uh, Western Carolina over the Citadel. Boy, Western Carolina really regressed to the mean, didn't they? I mean, that was – they fooled us. I mean, they fooled us. Like, I, what, you were there the entire year as the team that we did not believe you to be. We thought you were going right. to be good, and then you get hot at the end, and you suck us back in, and then kick us right to the curb by getting beat by the Citadel. So uh, yep. that, that won't work for you. Uh, you did have ETSU over Chattanooga. I'll check that one off for you. Uh, UNCG over Western Carolina, but you had the winner, so we're going to give you that, too. You had Mercer over Stanford. Okay, smart, smart. I think that was probably the easiest game to predict. Uh, and then you had Wofford over Mercer. That, that will not work either. You also had Wofford going to the championship game over BMI, though, so you get a point there because you did have BMI over Furman. He does. of teams that just – don't you figure – You got on board. You got on board. You got on board. has to do it sometime? Like, why was this not the year? It made all the sense that this was the year. Is he going to be spectacular in the regular season and then lay it out in the postseason? It makes no sense to me how this can continue to happen. I, I, I do not know. I have my thoughts and theories that um, I have said a lot on, and I'm not knocking Bob Ritchie. I do not believe Bob Ritchie is awful. I just think there has to be just a slight tweak in how he handles the regular season that gives his team a better shot in the postseason. That's all I'm saying about that. So you had four points on the men's side. Uh, I had three because I had Western not only beating the Citadel, but then going on to beat UNCG. I did have ETSU uh, beating Chattanooga. Then I had ETSU beating Western, and obviously that would have been a great matchup for the Bucks. It would have worked out that way. I still think that ETSU would have beaten Western. It did not work out that way. UNCG beat ETSU. Uh, called the Mercer run, but I had Mercer getting eliminated in the semifinals by, of course, Furman. The Furman Palace. Yeah, just saying the Furman Palace. The Furman Palace. Okay. Maybe. I can't believe they They were your champions, so correct, right? They were my champions. I mean, can you say that again? I mean, Furman was They were my champion. Well, and it looks stupid now, but you see where my head was at, right? Like, this is such a talented team. Now, to be fair, I think it shows, once again, that, and not to go back to an argument and be petty about it, but if they had a true first-team guy, a guy that could take over, a guy that could – because what that game end up being, like 73, 72? It was one-point game, wasn't it? Weren't they up by 10 late on in that game against the Yeah, well, and they were crushing Gurley, too, because he took a two. But where the ball was thrown, he didn't have a shot with one second to catch the ball, dribble, get outside the arc, and shoot. And he ended up losing by one. Can I, 
got to say for the record that VMI has a three-game win streak against Furman, if you include football. 14-13 in football. Two wins in basketball. They won up there. Didn't get a play at Furman, which would have been a Furman win, let's just be honest. And then the one-point win, I think they had, was it a two-point, one-point, one-point? I'm almost positive. It was. So it, it, VMI, for whatever reason, has Furman's number in football and basketball this year. Seems like uh, you had my number on bull predictions and filling out the bracket. That's what I like to hear. Because I'm this is where I always make headway because he practice. brags about his regular season, uh, but who knows the postseason, Mike Gallagher? Yeah, who wins it when it matters, right? And I certainly have not been able to show that. I did have Mercer beating Western. I did have three of the four first-round matchups right, but I had Chattanooga beating Furman and then Chattanooga beating Mercer, and that's what killed me because you actually had Mercer going on to win it all. And they did indeed go on to win it all. I see one, two, three. I had just the – I had only the three first-round matchups that I got right, and then I had ETSU beating Wofford going on to win the championship. So I got, uh, let's see, three. Your number is going to be a lot higher than that. You had ETSU. That's what I like. what I like. Didn't have UNCG, but did have Mercer and Furman. You had three of the four as well, so you had five. So – you get nine points total, yep. and I yep. only get six. So I love it. And who's in the lead now? It's you by one. Who's in the lead? I hate that so much. That's a great time. Is it? This is a great time to wrap up the show. So we no, no, we're not doing that yet. we got to talk about the transfer portal. Uh, here's what I see, and this was as of yesterday at like 8 or 9 o'clock, and obviously every evolving will probably have more stuff over the next yes. couple of days. Verbal Commits is a great one to follow on yes. Twitter. Big fan do of a that. lot of reporting on that. Jeff Goodman, obviously, as well. If you know anything about college basketball, you know that that's a big one, too. Um, Storm Murphy and Trey Hollowell. I saw Hollowell and Murphy, and that is... Everyone's shaking their head at that. Am I the only person that just feel like he's going to go play at Virginia Tech, or is that just me? Mm, that makes sense. Now, Wofford doesn't have graduate programs, is that right? Uh, I don't know. I know VMI does not, so Greg Parham is going to... Is, he hasn't put it in yet, or has he? I did not see that. I, I heard uh, at the tournament that he was going to put his name in because VMI doesn't have a graduate program, so he has to go somewhere else if he wants to play next year. Well, and that's in comments of tweets, and so take it with a grain of salt. But that's what some people are saying about Murphy and Hollowell. You've played out your time. You want to go get a graduate degree, so you obviously have to stay in school to be able to play college basketball, right? So they put their names in the portal, see what's out there. I think you're bound to get – Power five offer or two from Storm Murphy, at the very least. Hollowell will be interesting. Um, not sure where he may end up, but I saw those two in the portal. Myron Gordon finally put his name yeah, in. So Christian Guest was already in, but Myron yeah. Gordon, and it just makes sense because again we talked about it, and as we went through the timeline on Stock Report of who was in, who was out, you started to see players kind of fall off um, at Sanford, and the I can't remember who it was. Was it the captain's cabin on Twitter or? Titletown Mafia. <laughs> yes, it, sick of playing for a high school coach. Already <laughs> played for one. Or? Already played for one high school coach. So he played for another. Oh, Moving Bucky. on. Moving on. Oh, Bucky. Uh, KJ Davis also in the portal from Sanford. So you got three there. Michael Hewitt Jr. from UNCG. Uh, Mercer's Mitch Prendergast. Um, and that's it. No one from Furman, ETSU, Chattanooga, Western, or Citadel. Again, yet. Right? You, you never know. And it's early on the in the next game. two, three days, I think, you'll. I, but here's what's odd. You control F to make sure Hollowell's in there, because I think I saw that last night. No, he is. You're in the same place. Okay. Yeah, You're yeah. in the same place that I was. But I saw that, and I don't believe I would have missed it. But, I mean, those are the two biggest names, right? Like, obviously, Gordon and Gass are going to be able to help people, but Murphy and Hollowell, that changes so, the title race. So, here's the crazy part. We're having a test right now, because if UNCG has too many positive tests, they're out of the tournament. If Mercer... Has too many positive tests are out of the tournament. You're really going to reveal this. Huh? ETSU, ETSU will be in the tournament, and it would be terrible. Let's be honest. It would, it would be terrible if you had to get in the tournament because the two teams in front of you had positive tests. But every every league is doing that right now. So I think it will slow down for a couple of days because this just came out yesterday that teams have to do this, and then once you get past the weekend, Monday, Tuesday, I think the number of people that enter the portal are going to be plentiful. And also at the Final Four this year, they're going to vote on if you get the one-time transfer and don't have to do all the waivers. They voted it down last year narrowly. Will they just get over it and do it? And if so, that can add another 300 people in there. Hollowell is in the portal, portal by the way. So just there you see it too. Yep. There 
so it's big, and I mean, it, that, those two are going to be desired, quantifiable, qualifiable quantities when out there. I mean, they are people you know what you're going to get. They are top-level talents, specifically Murray, but Hollowell is going to be a piece on a really good team. Uh, I'm assuming there will be plenty of solid programs calling him. Um, Parham would be another. I mean, the amount of Parhams that have transferred out of BMI and the amount of things that they could have accomplished while at BMI. And Greg Parham uh, accomplished plenty. Bubba did too, but um, the amount of talent in those two uh, is simply incredible. Um, and we'll see what goes on going forward because, I, like you said, I mean, with the weird year it's been, with the strange rule changes lately, all of the eligibility questions and concerns throughout college athletics, but definitely in basketball, um, the possibilities are kind of endless. It, yeah, last every year it set a record. It was like almost 800 last year. With the free year – with the extra graduates, the question is, do people have space? I, that's the thing I think that the unintended consequence is going to stink is last year and this year's incoming freshmen are going to have less chances to play and or you're going to have the guys that it's always greener pasture on the other side and people run out of slots and you've got nowhere to go and you could have stayed where you were. So it will be interesting to see how this plays out. You lead in bold predictions now, 16 and a half. It's a great way to end the show. For you. It's a great way to end the show. It's a great way to end the show. I'm running out of time here. i got to come from behind again. I feel like I dominate most of the year, every year in bold predictions, and then I somehow find a way to fumble it away. It's like watching me get you back. Like Just turn it over, baby. Wow. I'm sorry. Wow. It's too easy. It's too easy. Or, we had another or, show wrapping or, up a couple or, seasons. Or watching you teach you football last year. Just oh, my God. Why are you taking you shots know why? at the end of the show? Do you it's know why? Do you know why? Because I'm the 30-4, and four and I'm the 2018 football team where I find ways to win, baby. The improbabilities. You like that word, didn't you? You like that, didn't you? Did that just for you on purpose? Yeah. On purpose. That I'm was sure, on purpose. Yeah. That was on purpose. He does not know the Eagles language. That was on purpose. All right, we'll be back Thursday. We're going to preview Football, transition a little bit, all that more coming up. Basketball, we hardly do Cowboy up, go play ball.